Well, hey everyone, Pastor Stephen here, and I want to thank you for checking out this message from Journey Church. I hope that it encourages you, challenges you, and brings you closer to Jesus than ever before. If you are joining us today online or through the live stream, we are so excited that you are with us. However, we are not meant to do life alone, so don't let online media be a substitute for an actual community of faith and fellowship. God created us to do life with one another so that we can grow together on life's journey. We hope that you enjoy this message from God's Word. A man fell in a hole. fell in a hole, and he couldn't get out. A traveler passed by. He told the man to meditate, to purify his mind, and when he reached Nirvana, all suffering would cease. The man did as he was told, but he remained in the hole. Another man appeared. He explained that the hole didn't exist, and neither, in fact, did the man. It was all an illusion. The man who did not exist was still stuck in the hole that was not there. Another visitor arrived. He instructed the man to perform good deeds to improve his karma, and though he would still die in the hole, he might be reincarnated as something magnificent. Another man looked down from above. He taught the man to pray five times a day facing east and to follow five important tenets. If he was faithful, one day, perhaps, the divine would set him free. The man prayed as best he could, but he was losing strength, and in the hold he remained. something different about him. He called down to the man in the hole and asked him if he wanted to be free. This man lowered himself into the earth, into the pit. He took hold of the man. That is one of my uh, favorite videos because what a wonderful picture it is of us trying to reach up to God, us trying to get ourselves out of our mess, trying to get ourselves out of the hole and the pit that we are in, and there is no way out. The only hope that we have is that Jesus would descend into the pit and pull us out. That's what grace is. Grace is God's descending to us to save us, the incarnation of our God. 
Well, it is good to be able to be back with you. Happy Labor Day weekend to all of you. If you have been here uh, during this time, you'll know that I wasn't up here speaking. I had, uh, I had six weeks where I was not speaking. Originally, it was just going to be three weeks. Uh, Stephen was going to do a week. Uh, Chris would, and then Dave would, and then Stephen asked if he could actually do a four-part series, which I was uh, more than willing to let him do. Now, most often when a senior pastor is not speaking, um, the congregation just kind of has to tolerate the associate pastors, uh, and they look forward to the senior pastor being back. But that was not the case now. It is not the case. These guys did an absolutely outstanding job bringing God's word, which, um, which helps me to know if anything ever happened to me uh, after a suitable period of depression and grieving by all of you, of course, then the church would just carry on and uh, good things would continue to happen. These guys were great. Uh, despite, um, despite rumors, I was not on a sabbatical. Uh, a sabbatical is, is actually a time where you take off. It usually happens about every seven years as according to the biblical principle of a, a Sabbath year's rest. A Sabbath year's rest in a field is where you let it rest for a year and then you you come back and you use that uh, that uh, field again the next year. A Sabbath rest is where you're actually away and off and uh, and studying or or resting or whatever. I was still here uh, being a part of everything going on at the church. We did take we did take a week off and go um, on a family vacation, but other than that, I've been around and been a part of everything going on here. Um, I want to remind you that next week you're starting this brand new end times series called Endgame. This is going to be uh, a challenge. It is, uh, I have been intensely studying this for several months now, getting prepared and ready. I had always understood it. I had read through it, but I never was this, um, this much in pursuit of knowledge. And uh, the things that I have learned have really been eye-opening for me, and I think it's going to be for you. I think it's going to be challenging. I think it's going to challenge a lot of your, your own belief system, your own theology, your own, your own teachings that you have heard. As we go into the Bible in depth, in the books of, of Matthew, Matthew 24, as we get into the book of Daniel, Ezekiel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Joel, and Revelation, all of those will be building layer upon layer. And as I lay those things out, you will see that we are getting closer to what the Bible talks about as the eschatology, the eschatological events that are happening, which is the end times events. That's going to start next week. Today, we have kind of a what I would call a tweener week. It is a week in between what we have done in the summer and the week in between us going forward into this end times study. So I have a different message. And the way that I often will come up with a message if I don't uh, have a series that I am doing is really just out of my own personal devotions. I, I will do my devotions every day. I'll, I'll keep a journal. I will write down in the journal things that God is really speaking to me. And this is one of those that I just had, had written down in my journal and looking back, thought, this is really what I believe the Lord wants me to have and wants me to share today. The message we have today is called Follow. It's based upon Mark chapter 10. And in Mark chapter 10, we are going to look at uh, verses, um, verses 17 through 31. So if you have a Bible, 
Turn in your Bible to Mark chapter 10, and let's read through this together. Now, what I want to do this morning is I want to read through it, and then I want to pray, and then I want to come down and break down the text line by line, verse by verse, word by word to understand exactly what Jesus is saying and exactly what the conversation is that they were happening, that was happening. So let's jump into Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 17. You can follow along in the words on the screen if you do not have a Bible with you. I would, as we get into the end time study, highly encourage you to bring a Bible, to begin to take notes, to highlight, to, to keep a notepad, keep a journal as we go through all of that stuff. So that's just a, that's just a forewarning. Here's what, here's what Mark chapter 10 says, and I want you to try to picture in your mind's eye the events that are happening as I read this story. It says this, now as, <clears throat> excuse me, now as he was going on the road, that's Jesus, as Jesus was leaving the community, as he was going on the road, one came running and knelt before him and asked Jesus a question. Here was the question. Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good, uh, no one is good but one that is God. And then he says this, you know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. The man replied to Jesus, teacher, all of these things I have kept from my youth. Then Jesus looking at him, loved him and said to him, one thing you lack, go your way, uh, sell whatever you have, and give it to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven, and come, take up the cross, and follow me. But the guy who had originally asked the question was sad at this word, and he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answered again and said to them a second time, children, how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Then Peter began to say to him, see, we have left all and followed you. So Jesus answered Peter and said to Peter, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Let's pray, ask for God to bless this, and let's dig into this, exactly what Jesus is saying and how it applies to us in Gillette, Wyoming in 2020. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you today and we ask for you to help us. We ask, Father, for you to teach us your word and your truth. Help us to understand how this applies to you. Father, today as we look at that question, that is so pertinent of how is it exactly that we gain eternal life? Show us, Lord, what that means. I pray, Father, that we would have hearts that are ready to receive, that we have ears that are ready to hear, and that we are ready to put into practice the things that you say. Father, help us to see ourselves 
on that dusty road, kneeling before you, asking you the same question that this man asked. I pray, Father, that you would show us your truth and that you would prepare our hearts. And with all of these things, we pray them in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Well, we're going to look at really five parts of this, and, and I'm just going to go through those pretty quick, quickly. I, there, there's one that are, or two that I may spend a little bit more time on, but this can really be broken down into five parts. The parts are these. There is the question, there's the answer, there is the loving confrontation, there is the hope, and then there is the reward. And we're going to go through all of those rather quickly. We're going to start with the very first part of this in this, in this message of follow. And the first part is the question. The question that is being asked. This guy comes before Jesus. Jesus is out on a road. He's leaving town. He's walking down the road. The guy's trying to catch him, runs up to Jesus, kneels before him, and asks him a question. Now, the question that he asked them is this. Let's read it again. As Jesus was going on the road, there was one came before him. He knelt down and asked Jesus, good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one that is God. Now, let me take the, the last part of that first to get that out of the way. Jesus responds and says, uh, why do you call me good teacher? The guy approached him and he said, good teacher. Jesus said, why, why would you call me that? Why would Jesus say that? Why, why would he confront that? Well, here was the reason. No person would ever refer to a rabbi in Israel in that day as a good teacher. Because there was only one that they would ever refer to as good, and that is God. In the book of Psalms, several different places, it says, the Lord is good. Goodness was only reserved for God. So Jesus right away confronts him and he says, why are you calling me good? Do you recognize who I really am? When the guy came, he was recognizing that Jesus was God. God was the only one that was good. Anytime that term was used, it was a reference to God. The guy says, I know you're God. I know who you are. So, so now again, picture this in your mind. The guy comes running up kneels before him and says, I know you're God. God, I have a question for you. Well, what's the question that he asks of God? If you could have a conversation with God where you could ask him face-to-face -face any question, what would the question be? Well, here's what the guy's question was. He said this, good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? I want to emphasize a couple of phrases. What shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Do you hear the question? The question is this, how can I get into heaven? How can I make sure when I reach the end of my days or I reach the end of days according to the end time stuff, how can I make sure that I will be in heaven with you? How can I cross the line? What is it that I need to do? What are the minimum requirements that I need to make, meet? How can I know that I have done enough? How can I know that I have met the standard? That's the guy's question. It is the fundamental question everybody asks. You have asked the question. Maybe you've not verbalized the question, but there has been a moment in your life where you've asked the question, 
what do I have to do to make it into heaven? Now, the answers to that range all over the board. The answers to that range from, well, I just need to be a good person. My good needs to outweigh my bad. If the good outweighs the bad, then I'm okay. And that's how some people approach God. So the guy is asking, what, what's the minimum requirements? What, what do I need to do to get in? How can I make sure I cross the line? How do I know when I've met the standard? What can I do in my control, in my ability to reach up to you, God? What can I do? I was thinking of that kind of like this. <clears throat> I was thinking like at my age, if I decided that I wanted to, and I know that they're not going to take me at my age, but if I wanted to join the military at my age, what would I have to do? What are the minimum requirements that I would have to meet in order to get into the military? <clears throat> you look at the physical test. Well, the physical test is you've got to run it two, mile, uh, two miles under a certain amount of time. You've got to do a certain number of push-ups and a certain number of sit-ups. So I thought, well, this is interesting. What is the minimum? Well, the minimum is you have to get 60%. And so then, okay, for me, my age, and I saw the little chart, at my age, 60%, bare minimum, that would mean this, that I would have to run uh, two miles in a time of 19 minutes and 30 seconds. Not going to happen. <laughs> it is not going to happen. <clears throat> the minimum requirement for push-ups would be 34. I, I could do 34 push-ups. The minimum requirement for sit-ups, 38. Don't know about that one. <laughs> Not really sure. That's the bare minimum requirement, 60%. Hit that mark and you're in. That's how many people approach God. What is the minimum? How can I hit the mark? Show me the chart. Where do I fall in the category? How can I get in? What can I do? What can I control? How can I get there? Do you know that that is what religion is all about? Religion is all about people's attempts to reach up to God. What can I do to earn my way to God? If you were in that day and you were a good Jew following Orthodox Judaism, your job would be, according to what the rabbis would have taught you, which is a misunderstanding of the Old Testament, but they would have taught you this, that you have to observe law. You have to be a good Torah-observant Jew. You have to keep the Sabbath. You have to follow and prescribe to the animal sacrifices. If you are a good Jew, then you're going to be in heaven. That's no different than today. Be good enough, follow it, do the right thing, do the rituals, do the formula, do the math, and then you can find your way into heaven. What do I have to do that I may earn it? If you're a Muslim today, do you know that most Muslims believe that, that people are born into a neutral state, and it's up to you whether it's going to flip good or bad? You can flip your state from neutral to good by following the tenets of being a good Muslim. By following Allah, by following his prophets, you be a good enough person, you can earn your way into salvation, you don't, and you pay the price. That's how you get to heaven. That's how you earn salvation. If you're a Jehovah's Witness, you have to earn your way there by doing enough good works and good deeds. Knock on enough doors. And if you can do that, God will accept you and he will let you in. If you haven't met the mark, 
then God is not going to let you in. Again, what can I do? What can I control? How can I perform? What's the minimum standard that I can be in? If you're a Mormon, you have to do good works. You have to be faithful to your church, to your church leaders, to your Mormon baptism, to your tithing. You have to be faithful and obedient to being ordained, being married in the temple, following the sacred temple rites, and you can't have eternal life without accomplishing those things. Again, everything is about what I do, how I perform. If you're a Hindu, it's all about reincarnation. It's about yoga and meditation until you reach perfection. And you keep getting reincarnated again and again and again until you have met the mark, and then you will be absorbed with Brahman. If you're a Buddhist, again, it's about reincarnation, and you follow the Eightfold Path until you finally get to the point where you can escape this world and reach nirvana. Do you, you kind of hear the commonality in all of those? It's about what I do. How can I do it? What can I do that I may inherit? Because it's based upon me and what I accomplish. So Jesus answers the question, and here's what the answer is. Now, remember the question, what, what can I do? How, how, how can I reach up to God? What can I do? What can I perform? What standard can I meet? What's the minimum that I can make sure I'm in heaven? Well, Jesus is going to respond by telling the man what he can do. And here's what he says. You know the commandments. You know what you can do. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. So here's what Jesus does. He gives him an answer with the law. Just open it up right to Exodus. You will see the law. You'll see the requirements. Just do all of those perfectly. Never mess up. Never fail. Never make a mistake. Do them all perfectly. Then you're going to be great. So he's, what he's doing is he's saying, here's how you can earn it. Here's how you can gain it for yourself. Here's how you can attain it. Here's the standard. He gives him part of the Ten Commandments. He didn't give them all. He's holding a couple back in reserve because he's going to confront him with them in just a moment. Because here we move into the loving confrontation. And here's what the loving confrontation is. The man replies to Jesus who said, just keep these commandments. The man replies and says, teacher, all of these things I have kept from my youth. Really? You have? That's amazing. How in the world were you able to do it? You kept all of them from your youth? See, the Bible tells us pretty clearly, if you break one of the laws, you've broken them all. If you break one of the least of them, you have broken them all. If you have done even the least sinful act, you have missed the mark, completely missed the boat. And so ask yourself the question, in an introspective way of your own life, have you ever broken any of the law? What is the law? Well, there's things like this. Have no other gods before him. Don't make for yourself an idol. Um, don't profane the name of God. Keep the name of God holy. Uh, things like do not uh, commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Keep the Sabbath day holy. Honor your father and mother. Those are the kinds of commandments. You ever broken any of those? Let, let, let me ask it in a better way. Have you broken any of them today? 
this week, this month? Take the most basic one. Do not bear false witness. Do not lie. Have you lied in any way? Have you, have you lied on your Facebook profile? <laughs> have you lied as you stepped on the scale and you looked at the number and you told somebody else a different number? Did you do that? Have you lied in any manner? If you have, you have broken the law. All who sin and fall short of the glory of God are really deserving and earning of death. Just break one of them. Break one of them and it's over. The guy says, I've kept them all. But in reality, as we know, that that's not the case. Jesus puts adultery on the same plane as lusting. Have you ever lusted? Jesus puts anger on the same level as murder. Have you ever been angry? Have you ever stolen? Have you ever put God down several levels on the list of priorities in your life? If you've done any of those things, if you've ever taken God's name in vain, you have broken the law, now you're guilty under the law, now you and I deserve death because of it. The guy says, no, I've, I've kept them all, I've done them all. Look at Jesus' response. His response is this, really, have you? Look what he says. Then Jesus looked at him, loved him. I love that phrase. Jesus didn't look with judgment. He didn't look with condens uh, uh, condemnation. He didn't look down upon the guy. He just loved him. Out of that love will grow a deep confrontation. Because he loved him, he didn't say to him, good job, well done, you're living your best life now. I am so proud of you, good job, awesome. Instead, out of his loving heart, he confronted him with the truth. See, sometimes the most loving thing you can do is to confront people who are living a life apart from God. In fact, it's unloving to let people walk toward the cliff of hell without saying truth to them. In love, Jesus said to him these words, really? You, you really kept it. Okay, well, how about this? One thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have, give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And then come, take up the cross and follow me. But he was sad at this word and he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. That is how he loved him. He loved him by speaking the truth to him and saying, no, you haven't. You see, what he was confronting him with was the first commandment and the second commandment all in one. He's saying this, You've got a lot of money, you've got a lot of wealth, you've got a lot of possessions. Your wealth, your money, your possessions are the God of your life. I'm not the God of your life, that's the God of your life. And you have built for yourself an idol out of those things. If you really want eternal life, you gotta get all of them cleaned up. And then Jesus gives the ultimate solution because the solution is this. It's not about the money, it's not about the riches, it's not about the possession, it's what you put first in your life. He says this to him, 
if you really want it, then come, take up your cross, and follow me. The ultimate answer to his initial question, how can I? Well, there's nothing that you can do except for one thing. Follow Jesus. Take up your cross. The cross was an instrument of death. When you went to the cross, you were putting yourself on the cross. You were dying to yourself, and you were saying, Jesus, all I am and all that I have is yours. That's wrapped up in the word follow. The word follow in the original Greek language is the word that means to be a disciple, to be a follower. The church in America, the Western church, and I'm going to talk about this as we get into the end times, but the Western church, the church in America is unprepared for the end times that we are going to start seeing before us. Because the Western church, the church in America are filled in a lot of cases with believers, but we are not filled with followers. Believers are people who believe in Jesus. A lot of people believe in Jesus. There's evidence. There's more evidence about Jesus than anything. There are more manuscripts that have been found than any other book ever written, multiple, multiple times more. The evidence of Jesus is there. The eyewitnesses of Jesus was there. The historians of the day pointed to Jesus. We have many churches filled with believers. I believe in Jesus. I believe that he is the son of God. I believe that he came here, that he died on the cross. I believe he was put in the tomb. I believe he was resurrected to new life. He ascended into heaven. I believe those things. But I'm not willing to change anything. I'm not willing to do anything about it. I'm not willing to let it transform me. I'm not willing to let it inconvenience me. I'm not let, willing to let it cause me any, uh, any amount of being uncomfortable. We have a lot of believers. A follower is something different. A follower is somebody who says this, Jesus, wherever you lead, I will follow. Whatever you say, I will do. However you convict, I will repent. However I need to act, I will act. Whatever I need to let go of, I will let go of. Jesus, I want to be a follower. Are you a believer or are you a follower? I want to challenge us to be, not just be believers, to be, to be followers. That we are committed to following him no matter what the cost, no matter what the price, no matter what he asks us to do. That's the question. Take up your cross, put yourself on the cross, give up your own self-desires and selfish interests, and follow me. Well, the guy couldn't, and the guy wouldn't. And the guy, when he heard Jesus say this incredibly loving thing, he went away sorrowful because he had a lot of possessions. You know, the, the church in America, I think it's probably one of the number one things that is going to be a problem for us is that the church in America, much like the Laodicean church in Revelation chapter 3, we are rich and plentiful and we have said to God, we don't need anything. We want you on the side, but we don't want to give up everything for you. He was sorrowful because the possessions mattered more than this relationship with God. 
Well, let's look at the hope. And this is what Jesus is going to give him. And the hope says this. Then Jesus looked around and he said to his disciples after the guy walked away, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus said to them again, okay, I got to reiterate this to you. He said, children. Now, now notice he uses the word children. Children indicate dependence. Adults are independent. I'm self-sufficient. I don't need anything. Children are dependent. He called his disciples children. How hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now, there's a lot of studies on this eye of the needle thing. There's a theory that there was a gate in Jerusalem that was very, very small. That It was called the needle's gate, and a camel could not get through that unless it took off all of the packs and stuff and knelt down and crawled through it. The problem is there's no proof that any of that happened. Most likely, Jesus is just saying something that is, that is an illustration Think of a camel, the largest animal in the day of Israel, in Jesus' day, trying to get through a needle, the eye of a needle. It's an impossibility. Why is it an impossibility? Well, he's got one key word in there that shows us why. Look what he says. He says, children, how hard it is for those who, now look at those words, trust in riches, to enter the kingdom. Was he saying it's bad to have wealth, it's bad to have riches? No, it's not. It's not. But when you put your trust in, that that becomes the priority, that's where it becomes the problem. For many of us, our trust is in our 401k, our IRAs, our trust is in what the economy is doing, our trust is in our large homes. Our trust is in our vehicles. Our trust is in our material possessions rather than God. He has become relegated to the basement of our lives rather than sitting on the throne of our lives. In America, we are very much guilty of this. Do you know that in America, if you have a household income of 50,000 or more, you are in the top 1% one, uh, of the world's wealth. In America, we are in a place where we have put our trust in riches rather than our trust in God. Jesus says, it's impossible if you put your trust there for you ever to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Then he says this, and it was, as he was speaking this, they were greatly astonished, saying among themselves, well, then who can be saved? If it's impossible, how can, how can I be saved? Remember the initial question? What can I do that I may attain eternal life? Jesus has just given an illustration that says it's impossible. So they're saying, well, how can you be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said this, with men... It is impossible. Remember the original question? How can I, how can I reach my way to God? How can I get myself out of the hole that I'm in? How can I climb out? How can I cross the chasm over to God? How can I attain it? Jesus says, that's impossible. You can't. There is no way. But it's not the way it is with God. 
For with God, all things are possible. What is he saying? He's saying this, if you will trust me, if you will follow me, if you will take up your cross and give your heart to me, that's how you're saved. That's how you will gain eternal life. Eternal life is not, uh, not attained through our reaching up to him. Eternal life is attained by him reaching down to us. Eternal life is not attained by us climbing out of the hole. Eternal life is attained by him climbing into the hole and pulling us out. Eternal life is attained when you take up your cross and you say to Jesus, Jesus, I want to follow you. I don't just believe in you. I will follow you. Whatever you tell me to do, whatever you tell me to, wherever you tell me to go, however you tell me to act and be, whatever transforming work you want to do in my life, Jesus, I will follow you. That's the possibility. It's all about follow. Well, he's going to end with this. He's going to end with the reward. And I want you to notice this. Then Peter says to Jesus these words. He says, uh, Jesus, see, we did. We left all and followed you. So Jesus answered and said, surely I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake in the gospels who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time. Now, let me clarify what he's saying. He's not saying literally you leave your wife. Guys, this is not an excuse to go get a divorce. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying reject your family, reject your parents, reject your children, reject your siblings. He's not saying that. What he's saying is this, he becomes the priority. He is first. Everything else comes after that. And if what he says comes into conflict with what the family says, he gets priority and you listen to him. If your husband or wife or children or father or mother are saying something contrary to what Jesus says, Jesus has the final say. Make sense? Anybody who's left that, they're going to be blessed. And when it comes to, he says, in the age to come, eternal life, that's where the blessing is going to be. God has prepared something for us so spectacular that we can't even possibly comprehend or understand it. Instead of living for the now, instead of living for the treasure of this world, begin to say, God, I don't care about this stuff. Yes, thank you for providing. Thank you for, I can pay my bills. Thank you for that. But I don't really care about this. I care about you. I will follow you. And I know that in the age to come, there will be blessing and there will be reward. Well, I want to wrap this up with just a couple of thoughts. Number one is this. If you are the person who has been always trying to get your way to God, what can I do? What's the criteria? How can I earn my way there? You need to know you can't. There is no way. 
There is no way that we can earn our way to God. There's no amount of good deeds you can do. There's no amount of good behavior you can have. There's no amount of commandments you can keep that you will ever earn your way to God. Instead, you don't have to because God came down in order to grab hold of you and save you. Here's the requirement for eternal life. Have you put your faith and trust in him and said to Jesus, I will follow you? That's the first thing. If you have not made that decision, do that today. Jesus, I will follow you. I will commit my heart to you. I need you to forgive me. Come into my life and change who I am. The second thing I want you to get out of this today is this. Ask yourself the question, am I a believer or am I a follower? Understand the difference. A believer believes, but will not allow that to change them. A follower not only believes, but has put all of their life under the lordship of Jesus. That whatever he says goes, that he will have the final say that he will be number one on the throne of my heart and my life. Are you a believer or are you a follower? Just trust me. When I begin to lay out the things that are going to happen in the end times according to the Bible, we need followers, not just believers. Because there will be a great apostasy that will happen, a great falling away of the world, of the church, of people who have just merely believed. And the ones that will endure to the end are the ones who have said, Jesus, I will follow you. Would you pray with me? Father God, today I wanna pray specifically for those people in this room who have always been trying to earn their way to you. They maybe have tried to justify in their own mind how, they've, how they're a good person and how they've earned their way. Or maybe they've come to the point of just depression and shame because they keep feeling like they can't do enough and they'll never measure up. I pray for those people today, Lord, that you would show them clearly without a doubt that they can't earn their way to you, that it is only by trusting in you and committing to you and following you that they will have life. Lord, thank you that you descended down, climbed into the pit, and pulled us out to save us. There is no way for us to climb out of the pit ourselves. It is by your grace and your climbing down to rescue us. Father, I want to pray for everyone in this room that we would not simply be believers, but that we would be followers. People who say, Jesus, whatever you say, I will do. Wherever you lead, I will follow. Lord, help us to be that committed to you that even as things in the world heat up, that we will look to you with faith and that we will look to you with hope. Father, we thank you for meeting with us here today. We thank you for the time that we can spend together in your word. And now help us, Lord, until we meet again. Just be with us. Lead us by your spirit and help us to be in step with you. We thank you for this day in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks for listening to that message from Journey Church. Be sure to stop by our website, journeychurchgillette.com, and check out past sermons and learn how to get plugged in with us. 
Also, if you would like to give to Journey to help us continue doing ministry in ways like this, just hit the Give button on our website to support us on this mission. Hey, I hope that you have a great day and may God bless you.